prayers have been answered, and those that have gone to CYC have come back safe and sound, and we're thankful for that. We're also thankful for the presence of everyone that's here tonight, and thankful for the way we've been led in worship, not only this morning, but even so far this evening. Long before he was a household name, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 25 and verse 9 and in Jeremiah 52 and about verse 13 that he, along with several others, were carried away out of Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians ransacked the temple. The Bible says that when the Babylonians came in three different waves against the temple, that the temple was burned. The utensils were taken out, but not only that, they, take the, they took in the best and the brightest young men up out of Jerusalem and transported them to Babylon. When you get to the book that bears his name, the book of Daniel, we read in the first chapter about Daniel being carried away into far off Babylon. He, along with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, their names are changed and so are their lives. They're immediately transitioned into this upper court where they're trained in the science, the politics, the literature and the life of what a Babylonian would look like. And you get a win for this early on as you read the book of Daniel, that Daniel was not a man that was just going to go along with the crowd. It starts off in Daniel chapter one and verse eight, where it says that Daniel refused to defile himself with the food that the king gave for them to eat. Evidently, it wasn't kosher for Jewish people. And so Daniel, along with the three friends, they abstain. And then when you get to Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar is frustrated. He has a dream. Nobody else can interpret it. But Daniel and his friends go back to their quarters. They offer up a prayer to God and God reveals the dream to Daniel. Daniel chapter three, the three Hebrew boys withstand the fire. Chapter four and chapter five, there are more dreams. And yet, though the news is bad, Daniel relays it to these kings. And you might assume that every time Daniel relays information to kings and it's bad news for them, he might be punished. But the exact opposite happens every time Daniel relays information to different kings, whether it be Belteshazzar or Nebuchadnezzar. He's not punished, but he's promoted. And then you get to Daniel chapter six which is where our lesson is going to come from tonight. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn it to Daniel chapter six. And you get to this famous story that I would just say is in the VBS Hall of Fame, Daniel and the lions. Then and after this, we kind of quit Daniel because we're out of VBS material. But Daniel chapter six is the account of Daniel and the lions. Den. it's where Daniel's been exalted to a position above 120 other associates or servants. And then there's these three that are set apart as especially unique. But Daniel's even above them. Daniel six and verse four says that Darius was prepared to put Daniel in charge over the entire kingdom. And his associates were frustrated and jealous and they wanted to do away with Daniel. But Daniel six and verse five, as Dwight Red Force a moment ago, says the only way they would have a charge against Daniel were if they were to find it against Daniel and his God. And so they do. They hustled Darius into signing a decree pretty quickly that says nobody can pray to any other God except for him for 30 days. And it's signed into law with the Medes and the Persians stamp and seal. It can't be changed. And then Daniel does what he always does. He prays three times a day facing Jerusalem. Daniel six and verse 10. They go back and tell the king. And as you know, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. But then Daniel is rescued. Daniel's life is saved. And at least the narrative portion of the book of Daniel closes. Now, for many of us, we know that story and we know it well. We probably have known it for a long time. The bad news about Daniel chapter six is that we've kind of relegated to cradle roll Bible classes and we've made the book of Daniel, especially Daniel chapter six, about books for children, children's books and maybe things for younger children. And it's about a young man who prayed a lot, spent a night with the cubs and came out on the other side safely. And while most of that is true, it was never written just to be a story for young kids. Oh, they need it. But every one of us needs it as well. 
This is one of those passages that we say to ourselves, I know this story and I know it well. But what is God trying to teach us about serving him from Daniel chapter six? It's really a passage about how we serve God behind enemy lines. It's about an older statesman. You see, the VBS material says Daniel's a young man, probably in his 20s. But conservative estimates say Daniel has served under three different kings up to this point. And conservative estimates would put Daniel in his 80s. But he's probably into his late 90s. And this older statesman has decided to remain faithful to his God. Can we ever take days off in our service to God? What does true integrity look like? And how does God see his people through even when we have to serve him in Babylon? These are the questions that Daniel seeks to answer for us. Tonight, I want to talk about six things that happened when Daniel was in the lion's den. What happened when Daniel was in the lion's den? If we find ourselves there, what also be true about us or at least should be? Here's number one. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he was unwilling to part with prayer. The Bible doesn't say that Daniel prayed in the lion's den, but the Bible does say that prayer is what led to Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. Daniel just made up his mind. Daniel would rather be thrown into the lion's den and be torn to pieces by wild animals than to spend 30 days without prayer and watch his life come to pieces. And so 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 says that Christians are to pray incessantly, just pray without ceasing. And Daniel takes that and it becomes a reality for him. Daniel is unwilling to part with prayer. It's a part of who he is. And as a result of this, no matter what happens, Daniel prays to God. Would you notice Daniel 6 and verse 10? The text says when he knew that the decree was signed, that means when he knew that they had put the law in place, Daniel chose to pray anyway. Rather than remove prayer because of the threat and the violence that could be his as a result of praying, when Daniel knew the decree was signed, he leaned further into prayer because he knew it was in this moment that he would need God more than he had ever needed him before. And so Daniel says, if they make this law, I'm going to need God's help. And so he prays three times a day facing toward Jerusalem. His windows open not to show off, but in keeping with the promise that was made centuries earlier by God to Solomon. First Kings 8, 35 and 36, God told Solomon or Solomon utters in this prayer, if your people are ever in any trouble and you carry them off into foreign lands because they've disobeyed you. If they look and pray toward this place, heal, forgive and save. And Daniel holding on to that hope three times a day faces toward Jerusalem and he prays. He took Psalm 55, 17, literally, where David says evening and morning and at noon. Will I pray and cry aloud and you'll hear my voice. Daniel faces toward Jerusalem. He lifts up his voice to God and he does it in prayer. Notice what the text says. He lifted up his voice. He turned to God when he knew the decree was signed. And then it says he gave thanks to God. We might think this would be a moment where Daniel would be praying for deliverance. And perhaps that's included in this prayer. But the Bible says Daniel was giving thanks to God. Thanks to God about what and for what? You see, Daniel was showing us long before he was thrown to the lions that even when his life was under threat, that in no way dampened his need to give thanks to God. My voice will you hear in the morning and I will look up Psalm 5 and verse 3. You'll hear my voice in the watches of the night, Psalm 42 and verse 8, and that's Daniel. Daniel is praying and keeping with the promises made to God's people in Jeremiah 29 and verse 7. And even in the lion's den, Daniel shows us he was unwilling to part with prayer. This is Daniel's way of saying to us modern people, his devotional life was literally to die for. Psalm 16 and verse 2, David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord and I have no good thing apart from you. They say, Daniel, go 30 days without prayer. And Daniel seems to not be able to go three minutes without prayer because he's on his knees petitioning God no matter what they offer up against him. Daniel teaches us the importance of being unwilling to depart with our disciplines even when we're in far off Babylon. Here's the question. How's your prayer life? 
You see, we know about Daniel's prayer life and how faithful he was in petition to God. How is our prayer life under no threat of persecution where nobody's stopping us from praying? Are we praying as often as we should or as often as we could? Mark 1 and verse 35 says Jesus would often get up while it was day and get apart from the crowds so that he could enjoy communion and fellowship with God so that he could pray. And we find Daniel following in those very same footsteps. You know, even unbelievers have said that there's value in prayer. Psychologists, they don't believe there's a God to pray to, but they do believe that there's a value in prayer. They talk about religious people having better health mentally and physically. We have more hope, more resilience and more kindness in our lives because we believe there's a deity to pray to. And that prayer psychologically improves our lives. But listen, you didn't have to go to school to find that out. All you do is go to scripture and see how often God says, I want you to pray to me. Philip Yancey in his book on prayer says that in the end, prayer is a declaration of our helplessness. Only people who truly believe they can't help themselves reach up in prayer to God. But you see, you and I live in a world that prizes independence. You just look at our world and appreciate how often we prize and praise people that can do it on their own. And a part of this is good. I mean, when you have small children at home, there comes this stage where they can eat by themselves and put on their own clothes, write their own name and read. And we're happy about that because it's a mark or a sign of their maturity. And even as they're beginning to do those things, if you try to help them, even when they don't have it all together, you'll be met with this kind of unintelligible phrase. I do it myself. They've got this. They really don't want any help. And we like that because it means, hey, they're progressing. They're getting things. They're developing. But if we live our lives Without seeing what Daniel saw, our need to petition God, even though we probably would never say the words, we find ourselves saying to God, I do it myself. I don't need your help. I've got this. I can live in Babylon without divine aid. And the reality is it's not true. When you summarize everything that Jesus taught about prayer, it basically boils down to three things. Jesus says in prayer, be honest In prayer, be simple and in prayer, be constant. Don't give up. Keep praying. Matthew six, five through eight. Don't heap up vain repetitions, but come before God because he wants to hear from you. They couldn't stop Daniel, even when they signed a law that said he'd be thrown to wild animals if he prayed. But question, what stops us? Sometimes you're busy. And I mean, you meant to pray, but things come up in life. And hey, I can rather I can be prepared or I can pray. And I would I would rather pray. I'm going to be late. I'm going to be delayed. And so I won't. Or maybe, hey, life's pretty calm right now. And as life gets calm and things get under control, the petitions tend to cease. I prayed before and nothing really happened. And it's kind of zapped my ability and my desire to really reach up to God in prayer. I believed in prayer. I've reached up to God. But sometimes when I pray, it seems like nothing happens. And as a result of that, my prayer life, it hadn't ceased. But I've just kind of slowed up. We plan to pray and well, plans change. Daniel, he couldn't be swayed. He couldn't be changed. He knew if I'm going to live in Babylon. I need God's help. And when Daniel was in the lion's den, he shows us he was unwilling to part with prayer. And the same thing needs to be true about us. Here's number two. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he kept his integrity. Daniel six and verse twenty two. This is after the day is over and the day breaks and the king shouts out to Daniel and Daniel six and verse twenty. Has the God you serve been able to deliver you? And Daniel says in chapter six and verse twenty two. Yes, the God I serve has been able to deliver me. He sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lion because I have been blameless in his sight and in your sight. O king, I have done no wrong or no harm. You think about all the ways that Daniel could have rationalized this choice on this day and forfeited his integrity. They say, hey, don't pray for 30 days. You know, Daniel could have said, I'm an older man. I'm 90 years old. 
I've been serving God since I was a teenager when they dragged me out of Jerusalem and brought me to Babylon. I've done my time. And if I forfeit this one time, I mean, if I punt this one time, after all, there's nothing in the Torah that says I've got to pray three times a day, nor open my windows for everybody to see. I mean, it's really not commanded. Daniel could have finessed around this in a lot of different ways. He could have said, you know, maybe it's other people's turn. Maybe God won't see it if I compromise just this once. But would you notice verse 22? He says, I've been faithful and blameless before God. But then he doubles down and says, I've also been blameless and faithful before the king. He hadn't done any wrong toward his God. Neither had he done any wrong to Darius. When Daniel was in the lion's den, Daniel kept his integrity. You see, the New Testament says you and I are supposed to be faithful to God, but it doesn't just say that. As Christians, we bear responsibility also to be faithful toward our fellow man. Romans 12 and verse 17, Paul says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 21, when Paul's talking about this contribution that's going to be taken up for the folks in Jerusalem, he says, I've sent the brothers and one well known for his preaching of the gospel throughout the churches that we might provide things honest, not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of other people. Integrity says, yes, I care about how God sees me, but I also care about how I live around other people. And Daniel was in the lion's den and he kept his integrity. He didn't turn on his God, but neither did he curse the king. He says, I've been blameless. I've done no harm. There's nothing you can charge me with. Blamelessness in the Bible doesn't mean sinless. It doesn't mean you've never done anything wrong, but it does mean the blameless man or woman has no sin that you could charge to his or her account that they haven't already acknowledged, confessed or repented of or that they wouldn't if it were brought to if it were brought to their attention. And so Philippians 2 and verse 15 says about you and me, we're to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. God told Abraham, walk before me and be blameless or be perfect. Genesis 17 and verse one. And that's the kind of man Daniel is. You see, when Daniel was in the lion's den, he kept his integrity, even at all costs. Polycarp is a famed man in church history. Many people know his story. Polycarp knew the Apostle John face to face and had communication with a lot of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. He lived on into the second century. He's what some people call one of the church fathers. He wrote some things, an epistle to a church at Philippi long after the New Testament times. But he's famous for what's called in church history, the letter to the folks in Smyrna. Polycarp was an older man. He had served God and his persecution started in and around Smyrna. Word got to the governor that Polycarp was a Christian. He tried to hide out in several different places, but eventually the persecution found him. They sent soldiers to his house and the letter of Smyrna says that when they got there, Polycarp said, would you give me a minute? I need to pray. Polycarp started praying. It was an hour later. The guards stood there and heard the prayer and they said, we've got no reason why we're bringing this old man before the governor, but we've got orders and so we've got to do what we've got to do. They grab Polycarp, they bring him before the governor and they tell him it's time for you to offer up a sacrifice to Caesar as Lord. They snatch him out of the chariot. The text says that he skins up his knee. This old man is drug out of the cart. He's bleeding. And the people there, even his adversaries, they beg Polycarp. They say, listen, could you just do one sacrifice? You're an older man. We would love to just send you on your way. Could you just do one sacrifice? Say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is curious and we'll let you go. And that's when he says the statement that's really become synonymous with his name. Eighty and six years I've served my Lord. and He's done me no harm. How can I now betray him, my king and my God? They beg Polycarp to retract and offer up a sacrifice. He won't. They tie him to a stake and set him on fire. Onlookers say when they set Polycarp on fire, his body began to shine as he was being burned. And even then, he wasn't killed until a soldier took a spear and pierced him in his side. 
He was 86 years old, and he says, you know, Jesus has been faithful to me, and I intend to be faithful to him. It's interesting that the place where he lived is the same place where John wrote these words, Revelation 2 and verse 10. You be faithful until death, and I'll give you a crown of life. You'll suffer tribulation for 10 days, but you hold fast. That was written to the church at Smyrna, and it's possible that Polycarp was in the congregation when those words were first read. And Polycarp says, I'll hold on to my integrity. You see, this is bigger than we think. Throughout the Bible, there are several different individuals who stand up and say, yes, I've been faithful to God, but I've also been faithful before others. And there's nothing anybody can charge me with before Samuel dies. That's what he says to the people of Israel. In first Samuel 12, three through five, he says, I haven't stolen anybody's donkey or ox or goat. I've been faithful before you all the entirety of my life. And if there's any charges, bring them before me and they can bring none. It's what Paul says to the elders in Ephesus, Acts 20, 26 through 34. I'm pure from the blood of all men. I haven't held back from preaching to you the whole counsel of God. These hands have ministered to my needs. I've coveted no man's silver or gold. It's what Luke means about Jesus in Luke 2 and verse 52. He increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. He kept his integrity. And when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, he did the same thing. Now, what if the same thing could be said about you and me? We might think about our lives and our faithfulness to God as being supreme, and it is. But what about our integrity before other people? Do you see what Daniel says? I've done no harm to God. And by the way, King, I shouldn't have been in this pit because I've also done no harm to you. What if people on our jobs could say, you know, she hadn't been perfect, but she worked here for X number of years. And so far as I can tell, her Christianity was never called into question. Because of Colossians 3, 24 through 25, we realize we're working for the Lord. According to the Bible, there's no such thing as secular work. Everybody works for God, especially Christians. What if our neighbors didn't just know us as those individuals whose cars pulled out with a Sunday smile, but Monday through Saturday, they also knew us as those who live lives distinctly for Jesus and our integrity. The way they heard us talking in our yards and on our porches, they knew those people really do belong to Jesus. And what if our God who could see past our flesh and directly into our hearts knows Hebrews four and verse 13, all things are naked and open before the one to whom we must give account. What if he could say about you what he said about Nathaniel? Behold, an Israelite and indeed who there is no deceit. John one and verse 47. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and even in the den he kept his integrity. Here's number three. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he was protected by his God. Now, recently I've preached some lessons and mentioned the fact that God doesn't always deliver. God doesn't always deliver from physical trouble. And that is true. But there are occasions when he does. Daniel 6 and verse 16. Would you notice what Darius says as he's throwing Daniel into the lion's den? He stayed up all night. He didn't want to do this. But he kind of shouts out in Daniel 6 and verse 16. The God which you serve pretty much. I hope that he's able to deliver you. And then the next day, Daniel emerges and Daniel tells him that is exactly what happened in Psalm 34 and verse 19. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but out of them all the Lord delivers them. Daniel was protected by his God when he was thrown into the lion's den and God protects his people today. The reality for people of God is there is this hedge of protection around us that the devil accused Job of having in Job chapter one. And Daniel had that very same thing. And he had the protection from almighty God. We serve a God who delights in protecting his people from harm. Listen, this week, you're not going to go through anything that the God who was with Daniel can't carry you through or that he won't protect you from. Isaiah 26 and verse three says he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on him. And that was Daniel. 
Job five and verse 19, Job says in six troubles, he'll deliver you. Yes, in seven, it won't come near you. When Daniel was in the lion's den, his God was present and his God protected him. The God who made the animals can shut their mouths and remove their sting whenever he chooses. Ask Daniel in Daniel six and verse 22. Ask Paul as he was bitten by a poisonous viper on the island of Malta, Acts 28, 1 through 6. Ask Jonah, the same God who prepared the fish to swallow Jonah in Jonah 1, 17, is the same God who commands the fish to vomit Jonah up in Jonah 2 and verse 10, and the fish does not disobey. God's in complete control of the world and of our lives. And when Daniel was in the lion's den, even there, he was protected by his God. And we shouldn't think we'll ever be in a pit or ever be in a den where he also can't protect us. As you read through the book of Daniel, it's kind of getting you ready for this. I mean, even Darius, who's a pagan man in chapter six and verse 16, he's throwing Daniel in the lion's den. But he kind of expects that won't be the last that he hears from Daniel. Look at verse 20. The next day he calls out, Daniel, has the God you serve been able to deliver you? If you threw a man into a pit with ferocious lions, you wouldn't expect to be calling out and hearing anything back. But Darius knows what we often forget. He knows Daniel's story. He knows that in Daniel chapter one, they had these dietary restrictions and God, he saw his people through Daniel 117 and they came out better than the others. God was with them. He knew in Daniel chapter two, perhaps that Nebuchadnezzar pronounced the death threat on everybody in his arsenal, everybody in his upper class. But Daniel said in Daniel 228, there is a God in heaven who reveals dreams and God saw them through. Maybe somebody told Darius there were once these three Hebrew boys and they were thrown into a fire. And then there was a fourth that appeared like the sons of God. And in Daniel four and in Daniel five, there were these dreams. There was a writing on the wall. Many, many tekel you farson and only Daniel could interpret those dreams. And though we don't know how God's going to do it, when you start reading Daniel six, you just know that, you know, there's going to be something because God always delivers. He always rescues. I guess another way to say this would be when Daniel was in the lion's den, God was in the lion's den. And your God's not afraid of lions. Luke chapter eight, when Jesus is on the boat in verses 22 through 25, the disciples are fearful. They've got the author of life in the boat with them and they're terrified. And Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind and the waves. And they say, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? He's the God who's often in the den with us. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he was protected by his God. And we need to appreciate when we're in the lion's den, we have the same protection. Here's number four. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he left vengeance to God. There's a lot of things Daniel could have said and did as these men lied on him. Daniel 6:24 says that after Daniel's brought out of the lion's den, those accusers that lied on Daniel, they were thrown in there with their wives and their children. And they were consumed and devoured by the lions before they ever reached the bottom. One of the hardest things for Christians to do, I believe, is to ultimately trust God and leave the vengeance to him. In Romans 12, 19 through 21, Paul says, dearly beloved, don't avenge for yourselves. Instead, leave place for God's wrath. For he has said, I will repay. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Neil quoted this morning, Hebrews 10 and verse 30 says the same thing. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Lord will judge his people. And Daniel left vengeance to God. You read Daniel 6, 24, and it's kind of graphic what happens to Daniel's enemies. Listen, the Bible doesn't tell us that Daniel prayed for this to happen. It doesn't say Daniel wished this would happen. But here's what we know. Hosea 11 and verse eight. If you sow to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. You don't read about Daniel saying things about his enemies. Hey, they started with me. Hey, they're lying on me. They've done wrong. Hey, that's exactly what they get. They persecuted me and it's what they deserve. Daniel left the vengeance to God. 
When Daniel was in the lion's den, he trusted that God would make things right. And if you're a Christian, you've got to learn to trust the same thing. You see, most of the world wants to get their lick back. They want to do eye for eye, and they have to because they don't believe accounts will ever be settled. And when you and I try to get people back, well, they say something about me. Hey, I can make a passive aggressive post about them, too. Hey, they said something about me. I can dig into them, too. Every time we do that, we verify that we don't really believe he'll settle all accounts. People have to settle accounts and respond in kind because they don't believe that God's going to get it right. And if you don't believe that God's going to write accounts, you've got to take it into your own hands, because after all, we can't let people get away with it. But the Bible teaches us that the wicked will not be acquitted. God will judge righteously. Nahum 1 and verse 3. And Daniel left it in his hands. And maybe we hear this point tonight and we think to ourselves, we're pretty non-vengeful people. I'm really not a grudge holding kind of person. I'm pretty easygoing. This one isn't for me. But if in your mind, maybe not physically, but if in your mind you're constantly slapping people around that get on your nerves or saying things and just kind of creating these imaginary beefs and you're sort of sneak dissing people and saying things underhandedly, you are vengeful. Jesus didn't come just to change your behavior or mind. He came to change our minds about how we view vengeance. You see, Matthew 5, 21 through 26 says, don't call people fools. It's not enough not to murder, but we must not even possess the anger that would lead to murder. Because if you're that person that in your mind, well, you would never say anything to anybody out loud. But in your mind, you often wish the worst on your enemies or people that have done you wrong. You want them to get what's coming to them. All you really lack is opportunity. You're not as righteous as you appear. What Daniel does, he leaves the vengeance to God. He trusts that God will settle accounts and ultimately make it right. He leaves it in his hands. And guess what? God always does. Daniel knew to take vengeance out of God's hands would be a terrible thing to do. And so he left it with the Lord and God settles accounts and makes it right. It's interesting as you read the book of Daniel, there's none of this kind of cultural warfare that Christians seem to talk a lot about today. You read the first six chapters of Daniel and there's really none of this. Like you might think the Babylonians and the Persians, the Medo-Persians are the bad guys. But interestingly enough, when you actually read the book of Daniel, there really is no Jews versus the Babylonians or the Persians. Every time Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego operate in tandem or are discussing things with their superiors. There's no ill will spoken. There's always respect. There's always kindness. There's always righteousness. And whenever their backs are up against the wall in a culture that is very anti-God, they just kind of passively wait for the lines to fall out in their favor. They know Yahweh is sovereign and he'll work it out. That's not our job. They don't view it as them versus the culture and the culture's trying to upend them. And so we must take up arms and be against our ungodly culture. Instead, they say, you know what? It's my job to be Daniel. It's God's job to be God. And they leave the vengeance to God every single time. Because they trust him. Our desire to take up arms and go to war with the culture suggests we don't believe that God's actually going to do his part. And so we've got to take matters into our own hands because we can't let them win. Daniel and his friends, they leave the vengeance to God. They trust that God is actually at work in the world. And we've got to come to learn to trust the same thing. Daniel doesn't say foolish things. They don't think to themselves, hey, these folks aren't really godly leaders and therefore they're unworthy of our respect. It's always O king. It's may we, can we please We'll submit to your rule because we know there's one that rules above you. Here's number five. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he let his light shine. Hold your hand in Daniel chapter six and go over to Matthew chapter five. Go over to Matthew chapter five and we're going to read a verse that I know you already know, but we're going to read it slower. And I want to show you how Daniel, while he was in the lion's den, lets his light shine probably better than anybody in the Bible, with the exception of Jesus Christ. Matthew five and verse 16, Jesus says these words, you know them. 
So then let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. We typically summarize Matthew 5:16 this way. Be a good example and other people will know you're with God. But Matthew 5:16 says that. And I think that's right. But Matthew 5:16 actually says people will glorify God who is in heaven when they see our good works. Now, you and I aren't often privileged, maybe on occasion, but we're not often privileged to see that last part happen. There have been very few times in my life where I've let my light so shine and I've actually verbally heard or seen people glorify God as a result. Maybe sometimes they make the connection, but often we don't get to see that. Daniel did. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he let his light so shine. Look at Daniel chapter six, verse 26 and 27. Darius eventually says Daniel's God is the only God worthy of serving. And what reads like a prophecy from Daniel himself in Daniel two and verse 44, he says Daniel's God will have a dominion that will never end. Daniel's God is the one who reigns. Daniel's God is in charge of everybody. He is literally glorifying God who is in heaven because of the life that Daniel lived. Daniel was in the lion's den. And he let his light so shine before men. And it literally happened right in front of him. God was glorified in heaven. But as you picked up, this isn't the first time. Daniel's book runs in patterns. And if you notice throughout the book of Daniel, this happens several different times. Actually, once in each chapter, God's people do their part. And every time people verbally glorify God as a result. In Daniel chapter one, they say we can't eat that food. It's not kosher for Jewish folks. How about this? We'll eat our diet of vegetables. You guys eat the meat. And in 10 days, we'll see who comes out better. And they say about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they've come out better. They're better and they're more healthy than the others. They glorify God. The the Babylonians say Israelites are better. When Daniel reveals the dream to Nebuchadnezzar about the stature of the image in Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is God of God and Lord of kings. And he's the one who can ultimately reveal dreams. Nebuchadnezzar verbally glorifies God who is in heaven. In Daniel chapter three, same thing happens. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire unharmed and their clothes don't even smell of smoke, Nebuchadnezzar says, if anybody in this whole empire, he's the absolute monarch of the world. He says, if anybody worships a God outside of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we'll destroy him. You remember this one, Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar turns into a Babylonian chia pet. You remember that? His body turns with all of these feathers. Listen, at the end of that, and so far as we can tell, Nebuchadnezzar dies a converted man. We very well may see him in glory if the Bible has the final word to say about his life. He says, now I know there's a God in heaven, and he rules in the kingdoms of men, and he gives it to people and does according to his. That's Nebuchadnezzar talking. Why? Because Daniel so let his light so shine. Daniel five. Daniel is said to have the spirit of the gods. And then, of course, in Daniel six, Darius says, your God is a living God. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he literally let his light so shine. And the adversaries verbally gave, gave glory to God. Listen to Proverbs 16 and verse seven. Solomon says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And that's exactly what happens in Daniel's life. There's one reason why all of these events that are on the screen actually transpired. There's one reason why it always happens this way in the book of Daniel. And it's for this purpose. Every time Daniel did anything worthwhile, he went above board to make sure he didn't receive an ounce of the credit. He pointed all of the glory back to God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory. Psalm 115 and verse one. He wouldn't take any of the credit. You're so smart. You're bright. We ought to promote you. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not the one who reveals dreams. That's God's job. I'm just his mouthpiece. I'm just his servant. It's our responsibility to let our light so shine, not so people will say good things about us, but so that they'll say awesome things about our God. And when Daniel was in the lion's den, he let his light so shine. 
do you realize that there are some things that only Christians can do? That there are some things that only people who've been regenerated by the spirit of God as they've obeyed the gospel. There are some things in the world that only God's people can do. And when we do those things and when we point the glory back to God, the same thing can happen in our day. Peter told the people that were in Asia Minor in first Peter two, eleven and twelve. Dearly beloved, I urge you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which wages war against your soul. Have your conversation honest among the Gentiles. They speak against you as evildoers, but they will glorify God in the day of visitation. They will say things about God because of the way that you've lived. And we need to be that way. They lied on Daniel. Daniel stood for truth. Leroy Brownlow says lies often travel faster than the truth, but truth has a greater impact when it arrives. And Daniel's life changed this world. The Babylonians eventually praise God. The Persians utter things about God that you would expect to find in the Psalms of praise. Because when Daniel was in the lion's den, he was literally letting his light shine. Here's the sixth and final one tonight. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he he secured a successful future for himself. This last verse, before you break into the prophetic sections of Daniel, almost seems out of place. But it just simply says that in the end, Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus, the king of Persia. It's the Holy Spirit's way of saying, listen, kings come and go. But Daniel was there to stay. When Daniel went into the pit, it wasn't the end. Because God often does his best work when you and I are in the pits of life. When Joseph was in prison in Egypt, God was preparing him to be the prime minister. Genesis 45 and verse 5, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save much people alive as it is this day. When they threw Jeremiah into the pit, God had more sermons written for Jeremiah to preach. And he would. Jeremiah 38, 7 through 13. And when they threw Jesus into the tomb and they thought we've heard all we're ever going to hear from him. He was raised with all power and authority in his hand. Matthew 28 and verse 18. Christians don't go into the pit to be ruined and destroyed. God does his polishing of our lives in the pits of life. And some of you right now are there. You're in the pit. And here's what you don't know. You have no clue how long you're going to be there. You just don't know whether it's health or relational or financial or psychological. You're in the pit and you don't like it. And none of us ever do. But here's what we've got to learn from Daniel. Here's the main lesson we've got to get from Daniel. Be sure to remain faithful in the pit because you want to like the way you look when the lights come on. There are so many people that lie on tests, that lie to get different jobs, that cheat on their spouses in moments of distress and in hardship. And then when they're finally out of the pit, they say to themselves, in keeping with the lesson from this morning about not giving up, if I would have just held fast a little longer, if I wouldn't have surrendered, if I wouldn't have given up. And now they don't like the way they look. You don't know how long you're going to be in the pit, but here's what you know. You won't be in there forever. And you can secure a future of success and faithfulness if you just hold fast, even in the pits of life. God never puts his people in the pit to ruin us, but to refine us, to polish us. And hopefully we come out better than we were before. Daniel secured a faithful future. It wasn't the end for Daniel. When Daniel was in the lion's den, faithful to God, there were more visions to be had, more prophecies to be spoken, more books to be written and more good to be done. And he he secured a successful future. You should be thinking about yourself right now if you're in the pit of life. If you don't like your circumstances, how's this going to be when I come out on the other side? I want to be better than I am now, and I don't want to hate the things that I've done that make my future worse for me than it would have been otherwise. I want to hold fast. I'm going to stick it out with God. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but I won't do foolish things just because it's dark and it's cold. And I don't like it because God's faithful. And Daniel teaches us, you know what, no matter what, 
You be faithful to God, even in the pits of life, because God always raises his people to a better future. When Daniel was in the lion's den, Daniel was doing more good than just about anybody in the Medo-Persian Empire. But as with every Bible story, especially Old Testament stories, it was never written just to merely be about Daniel alone. The stories that we read in the Old Testament are ultimately to foreshadow and prefigure the one who is to come, the better and true Daniel, who was among the wild beasts, no doubt possibly some lions, according to Mark chapter 1 and verse 13, whose enemies said about him, he's worshipped God, let's throw him into the pit of death, and they do, and they think in that moment, we've heard all that we're ever going to hear from him until... God raises him from the dead. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him. Has the God you serve been able to deliver you? And Jesus rose on the third day unscathed and unharmed, not only to fulfill prophecies about resurrection, but also prophecies like Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. The wolf will lie down with the lion and the lamb. That's not about animals. It's about people and lives that are changed in the new covenant age of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true and better Daniel who was unwilling to forfeit his devotional life to God. And even when they tried to destroy him, he went to the pit anyway, secured a successful future, not only for himself, but for all of those who will believe on God through his name. You see, in the end, Daniel's an example Daniel's an example for us because he says you will never tame the lions in your life unless the untamed God, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is the ultimate lion in your life. You can't tame them otherwise. And until that's true for us, lines of accusation, enemies and hardships will always be our undoing. But if God is the untamed lion in our lives who rules over our spirits, no matter what the world throws at us, we'll succeed. When Daniel was in the lion's den, so was his God, and he couldn't have been in better hands. Maybe tonight somebody needs to submit their life to the one that's called the line of the tribe of Judah. Revelation five and verse five. You can do that tonight. You can become a Christian. The enemy roars a thousand accusations against Christians. But God has silenced them by dying in our stead and being raised again for our justification. Phil's going to lead us on to encourage us. If we can pray with you or pray for you, hold fast to your integrity this week. Whether you're in the pit or feel like you're on the verge of coming out, hold fast. And in the final day, we'll light the way we look. If we can help you, come now as together we stand and as we sing.